from deep inside your audio device of choice. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is uh, something I'm proud to introduce as this week's show. Emphasis on this week's. Um, If you were uh, listening to some of our stations last week, you didn't hear last week's show. You heard the previous week's show, the week before last. It was a technical error springing from the show headquarters. So don't blame your local station. I love the fact that this show is still on the radio and um, that you're listening, in many cases, to a radio station. And if it ever happened, it shouldn't ever happen again. The uh, offending person's hands have been amputated. But if it if it were to happen again for any reason that you're not here, that you seem to think that I'm repeating myself a lot from the previous week, you can always find the current week's show at harryshearer.com. But one way or another, thanks for listening. Um, now, relatively new feature of the program, recently released to a, a waiting audience, foot completely in mouth. Now, sometimes these uh, will reflect just the fact that uh, a person has misspoken. And that's, you know, it's amusing. But it's more amusing to me when um, the evidence points to the fact that the person actually thinks what they're saying is true. You tell me. Governor of Texas called. Great gentleman, just got reelected. And uh, he said to me, I'd like to talk to you for a second. Well, he said, you've done something that nobody else has done. You've won every single area along the borders, the longest since Reconstruction. I said, Reconstruction? I guess you call that the Civil War? That's what I call it? Yeah. That's what we call the Civil War down here is Reconstruction. I I have a suggestion. A lot of people around the country are proposing uh, something they'd like to see, which is a new Civil War. And I, I personally not in favor of that. But if it were to happen, let's uh, let's keep Reconstruction going for an extra couple of decades next time. Hello. Welcome to the show. I want everybody to get up off your seat and get your arms together and your hands together. And give me some of that old soul. You didn't have to love me like you did, but you did, but you did. And I thank you. You took your love somewhere 
From New Orleans, Louisiana, home of New Orleans, Louisiana, I'm Harry Shearer. Welcome you to this edition of the show. And now, news of a smart world. Well, I'm sure you've been keeping up with the sad, sad story of FTX, a um, crypto exchange, so-called, which in um, recent memory, like a couple weeks ago, was supposedly worth $32 billion and is today worth a scratch on the sole of your shoe. Now, uh, the repercussions of that crash are spreading throughout crypto land, an imaginary place, of course, which some people believe in. Now, a Brisbane-based, that's Brisbane, Australia, not the other Brisbane, a Brisbane-based crypto exchange has suspended withdrawals. You can't get your money out of them. They're citing spillover from the collapse of FTX, the one that um, collapsed over here couple weeks ago, quote, due to the impact of FTX Australia's administration, that's their, their word for bankruptcy, we're not able to operate business as usual and have suspended all deposits and withdrawals until further notice. The company is called Digital Surge. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? Our current priority is to protect and support you, our users, and keep you informed as the situation develops, unquote. Not to get you your money back. No, just to keep... In an email to customers, the exchange said it does hold some limited exposure to FTX. That's a finance speak for our money is deep in that hole and was, quote, working hard to understand the situation as it relates to our users, unquote. We're cool. You may not be. It's the translation for that. It's going to provide a further announcement on the situation within 14 days. Well, don't hurry. Digital Surge says it offers a fast and easy way for Australians to exchange cryptocurrency. It has 22 employees. So you, they can't fire anybody. Can't do like Elon. The uh, 
FTX was the number three crypto exchange globally. It could have up to more uh, up, to, up to one million individual creditors. It's a long line. Somebody bring them coffee. Thousands of smartphone applications in uh, Google and Apple's online stores, both the Apple Store and the Google Store, contain computer code developed by a technology company. Push whoosh. Not kidding. It presents itself as based in the United States, but according to Reuters, it's actually Russian. Push whoosh. Doesn't sound American, does it? Well, it sounds crypto. They like those new words. Centers, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the uh, U.S. main agency for fighting major health threats, says it's been deceived into believing push whoosh was based in Washington. After learning about its Russian roots from Reuters, it removed push whoosh software from seven apps that face you and me, the public, citing security concerns. The U.S. Army said it had removed an app containing push whoosh code earlier this year because of the same concerns. The app was used by soldiers at one of the country's main combat training bases. According to documents publicly filed in Russia and reviewed by Reuters, push whoosh is headquartered in the Siberian town of Novosibirsk. It's registered as a software company that also carries out data processing employs about 40 people, so it's bigger than the company in Australia, uh, had reported revenue of $2.4 million last year. Pushwish is registered to pay taxes in Russia. In Russia, taxes pay you. On social media and in U.S. regulatory filings, however, it presents itself as a U.S. company based at various times in California, Maryland, and Washington, according to Reuters. It uh, provides code and data processing software support, enabling developers to profile the online activity of smartphone app users and send tailor-made push notifications from push whoosh servers, hence the push. And push notifications would be the push and push whoosh. We don't know where the whoosh comes from. On its website, it says it does not collect sensitive information. Reuters found no evidence that they mishandled user data. It is known, however, that Russian authorities have at times compelled local companies to hand over user data to domestic security agencies. The founder of Pushwoosh, Mark Konyev, hmm, sounds American to me, told Reuters a couple months ago the company had not tried to mask its Russian origins, quote, says Max Konyev. Quote, I'm proud to be Russian, and I would never hide this. Unquote. Pushwoosh published a, bro- a blog post after the Russian, sorry, the, the Reuters article appeared, saying, uh, saying, saying Pushwoosh is uh, incorporated under the state laws of Delaware, never owned by any company registered in Russia. It used to outsource development parts of the product to the Russian company in Novosibirsk. However, in February, Pushwoosh Incorporated, the Amer- so-called American company, terminated that contract. Reuters asked Pushwoosh to provide evidence for its assertions. The news agency's requests went 
unanswered. Konyev said the company has no connection with the Russian government of any kind, stores its data in the United States and Germany, but cybersecurity experts said storing data overseas would not prevent Russian intelligence agencies from compelling a Russian firm to cede access to that data. It's another reason to worry about Russia. Back to uh, uh, crypto so-called currency. We know it's crypto. Not sure about the currency. Somewhere between 73 and 81% of buyers of Bitcoin at retail, you know, like at your drugstore, are likely be running negative on their investment. That's research published this week by the Bank of International Settlements. Oh, to live in one of those. The Bitcoin they bought is now worth less. Bitcoin is doing uh, down 73% in the past year, up 155% in the past five years. Well, hold on, they're coming. The Switzerland-based bank, for other central banks, wanted to understand why retail investors continue to participate in cryptocurrency exchanges to trade stuff like Bitcoin. It's a mystery, according to the Register, the British Tech Journal, given the fact people don't generally use Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies to make payments, to measure value, or to finance real-world investments. Meaning, it's something to gamble with. Well, you know, it's an investment in The bank published its findings in a working paper called Crypto Trading and Bitcoin Prices. It's simple enough. So, um, you know, if you want to do that with your money, just send it to me. I'll I'll make sure it's in crypto. The lending arm of another uh, crypto investment bank, Genesis Global Trading, that sounds big, that sounds old, is temporarily suspending redemptions and new loan originations, also in the wake of FTX's collapse. The uh, CEO, Derar Islam, told customers on a call this week, the unit known as Genesis Global Capital had $2.8 billion in total active loans as of the end of third quarter of this year, according to the company. Islam told the participants on the call Genesis is exploring solutions for his lending unit, including finding a source of fresh liquidity. That means, where's the money? Said Genesis intends to detail its plan to clients next week. That's according to Coindesk, a supposedly journalistic enterprise also owned by Genesis Global. How convenient. And um, another crypto outfit, it is a smart world, isn't it? BlockFi, a lending platform, is considering filing for Chapter 11 and preparing for job cuts in the wake of the collapse of closely linked crypto exchange FTX. Well, they're all closely linked, are they? They're all run by a couple of 30-year-olds with weird haircuts. The Wall Street Journal reported on the potential bankruptcy filing. BlockFi has also had talks with another cryptocurrency company, Binance, Binance, about possible financial help 
BlockFi paused customer withdrawals last Thursday night. It'll keep withdrawals paused, meaning you can't get your money out, acknowledging it had significant exposure to FTX that limited its ability to operate as usual. We do have significant exposure to FTX and associated corporate entities, they say. BlockFi accepted a $400 million line of credit from FTX over the summer. Sought the line of credit after facing its own struggles as the crypto market tanked following the demise of two other crypto outfits, Luna and UST. BlockFi employees were warned of the seriousness of the company's current situation. Does uh, Elon Musk do that for all the companies that he knows? Guys, get hardcore or get out. Layoffs are not explicitly mentioned at BlockFi, however. Yet, the company had voluntary buyouts in July. Still has employees. You know what I think, ladies and gentlemen? I think... It's a smart, 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 smart world. And now. News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Ebersole, Jr. No, the third. That Ebersol family always baffles me. The Paris 2024 Olympic and Paralympic Moscow mascots (laughs) have been revealed as two Phrygian caps decked out in France's national colors. The two characters who are to be known as the Olympic and Paralympic Phrygies yeah, I guess it's how it's wrong. Have the Golden Paris 2024 logos across their chests. They have chests. They're caps, but they have chests. And are described as having mischievous and expressive eyes. The uh, mascots were revealed this week in Paris. The Paris 2024 president, Tony Estanguet, said, We chose an ideal rather than an animal. We chose the Phrygian cap because it's a very strong symbol for the French Republic. The two mascots share a motto, alone we go faster, but together we go farther, further. And the Olympic Phrygy is described as a tactician with a calculating brain. So they've uh, humanized them. The Paralympic Phrygy is up, spontaneous and full of energy and enthusiasm. They're just caps, ladies and gentlemen. Phrygias, yeah. The uh, first officially recognized mascot for Olympics summer was Waldy, a multicolored dachshund for the 1972 Munich Games. The games are not remembered for the dachshund. Sometimes mascots are big business, although not always a sure bet in 2012 disappointing sales of um, 
the official London mascots, Wenlock and Mandeville, led to the toy manufacturer's shares tumbling. Even though French toy makers got the contract, the Paris Olympics Committee said just 8% of the mascots will be made in France from Chinese-produced materials. The remainder will be made in China. The Ethic Business Owners Association denounced an insult to all French companies, saying there's still time to produce the toys at home, i.e. France. It's a structural problem due to the fact that for years France has lost its factories, said government spokesman Oliver Varon. Climate activists also contrasted the pollution that will be generated from shipping the toys to France with the government's pledge to take stronger action against global warming. The Paris Games organizers defend the fact that the toy replicas are almost all made in China. Quote, like the great majority of toys sold in France. Why should the Olympics be any different? Just because they're a movement? Hey, we all need one. Every day. Not a lot of news about microplastics this week. Oddly. But there is this. Now comes evidence that so-called microplastics pervade the cleanest waterways in Pennsylvania. Those designated by the state as having the highest environmental quality and the least residue from Dr. Oz. No, they didn't say that. A newly released study by the nonprofit Penn Environment found that of the 50 streams studied in the last six months, uh, six months from a year ago to six months ago, <laughs> all contained microplastics. The most common kind found in every water sample were fibers such as those from synthetic fleece and fishing line. 84% contained plastic fragments. The same proportion contained plastic film, like shopping bags and food wrappers. A fourth type, plastic beads used in cosmetics and personal care products, was found in only 2% of the samples. That's because they've as far as we know, started taking those plastic beads out of cosmetics. So that's working, at least. But that's about it. And now... News of the Godly. A 456-page report from the Maryland Attorney General's office identifies 158 Catholic priests accused of sexual abuse, including 43 that were never publicly named by the Archbishop of Baltimore, or Balmer, Balmer, Balmer. There's a lot of ways to pronounce the names of cities in the United States, isn't there? 
You've noticed that, I'm sure. This is part of a four-year investigation into the history of child sexual abuse by members of the clergy. The investigation also identified more than 600 victims of sexual abuse, according to a new court filing. The report itself, along with the names of the priests, is not yet public. The Pennsylvania Attorney General's office disclosed some details in a court filing this week. It requested permission to release information that the archdiocese provided in response to a grand jury subpoena. So one thing you can say is the archdiocese is more law-abiding than the former president in terms of abiding or responding to grand jury subpoenas. They are secret, the grand jury records, secret under Maryland law, but can be released with the judge's permission. The filing provides some details of what the report will contain. It alleges the archdiocese failed to report many allegations of sexual abuse to conduct adequate investigations, to remove abusers from ministry, or to restrict their access to children. Well, what do we tell the children? The Attorney in General's investigation uncovered pervasive sexual abuse amongst the priesthood and repeated failures by the archdiocese to protect the children of Baltimore, said the uh, office. Time and again, the archdiocese chose the abuser over the abused, the powerful over the weak, the adult over the child. Hundreds of Marylanders, that's what they're called, have suffered mentally and physically for decades because of the archdiocese decisions. Now is the time for reckoning, continues the filing. Publicly airing the transgressions of the church is critical to holding people and institutions accountable and improving the way sexual abuse allegations are handled going forward. Well, there's another way of handling them. <laughs> Punish the people who commit them. That would be that would be good, don't you think? I wasn't asking you. News of the godly. And now, news of our friendly Adam. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Safe, cheap, too cheap to meet. Cheap, safe, too safe to meet. Safe, safe, too safe to meet. Well, let's go to Tokyo, shall we? All the hip nuclear news is happening over in Japan recently. The head of a task force from the International Atomic Energy Agency said this week it's examining whether Japan's planned release into the sea of treated radioactive water from the wrecked Fuk plant, we've talked about that planned release of radioactive water, whether it meets international standards. <laughs> there were international standards. But the decision on whether to go ahead with the plan is up to the Japanese government, not the IA. EA, the head of the Department of Nuclear Safety at the IAEA, said his team has no power to decide whether Japan should suspend the release of radioactive water, even if it does not fully follow international safety standards. The government and the plant operator, TEPCO, announced that plan to uh, put some tritium including water into uh, the ocean last year. IAEA is cooperating with Japan's government to increase the safety and transparency of the water release. I like my water transparent, i got to say. 
the uh, guy from IAEA, says the independent evaluation of the plan will provide confidence to the society, Japanese society, neighbors, other member states, unquote. It's a 16-member team, including experts from nine countries, including China and South Korea. They're in Japan to study the water discharge plan for the second time. The plan has been fiercely opposed by fishermen, local residents, and Japan neighbors, including China and South Korea. Fuk residents worry the reputation of their agricultural and fishing products will be further damaged. Most of the radioactivity is removed from the water. Can't get the tritium out. Scientists say the impact of long-term low-dose exposure to tritium and other radionuclides on the environment and humans is still unknown and that the release plan should be delayed until they say how tritium affects humans. It does that more, turns out, when it's consumed in fish. And, Dateline Washington, the U.S. Department of Energy rejected Holtec International's application to receive funding. Holtec does uh, remediation and uh, supervises the decommission of nuclear plants. They wanted to um, get funding to reopen a nuclear plant in Michigan, the Palisades nuclear plant. Holtec bought it in May to decommission it. It had struggled to compete with natural gas-fired plants and renewable energy. On a cost basis, it was looking to reopen it with funding from the feds. Quote, we fully understand what we were attempting to do. Restarting a shuttered nuclear plant would be both a challenge and a first for the nuclear industry, said a spokesman for Holtec. A nonpartisan research group said in September the plant's closure was likely to be permanent. The plant was out of nuclear fuel, faced a control rod drive seal issue that would need to be fixed and likely needed a new company to operate it and a buyer for the power it generates. Aside from that, Mrs. Lincoln, it's good to go. Clean, cheap, too safe to meter. Our friend the Adam. I met a guy while walking down the street He looked at me, I looked at him He took my hand, he held my hand He's a real gone guy, I love him, did I do? Yes, he is real cool, real cool Real cool, he's real cool He's a real gone guy and love him, did I do? His technique simply took me out this world His technique simply took me out this world He filled my heart with joy and cheer He told me the things that I long to hear He's a real cool guy and I love him, did I do? Yes, he is real cool Real cool 
a gentle, he's great, he's all the world to me. He knows what to do when I'm feeling blue. He grabs me and whispers, baby, there's no one else but you. He's a real cool guy and I love him deep, I do. Yes, he is real cool. Real cool. Real cool, he's real cool. He's a real gone guy and I love him deep, I do. This is the show. Sometimes I irk myself with my line of jive. But now... We've got the ultra-modern neck Though getting oil from the deepest crack So give the boys just a bit of slack And say a hearty what the frack Two... Significant earthquakes within a week in northeast British Columbia were probably triggered by fracking, according to preliminary information from federal scientists, and these would be Canadian federal scientists. Back on November 11th, Earthquake Canada reported a 4.7 magnitude quake, followed four days later by a 4.6 magnitude quake just about half a mile away from the first event. Quote, there's an active hydraulic fracking operation nearby, says a research scientist with the Geological Survey of Canada. The likelihood, he says, of these two events being induced by industry is very high. According to um, the BC, British Columbia Oil and Gas Commission, that's the uh, energy regulator for British Columbia, Hence the name. Fracking there takes place deeper underground than it does in other areas of the world, sometimes as much as two and a half miles beneath the surface. All of the drilling in the formation near St. John, British Columbia, has or will eventually involve fracking operations. vast majority don't trigger earthquakes. The practice has been linked to most of the larger seismic events in Alberta, and northeastern British Columbia over the past decade. Same is true for Texas, Pennsylvania. Where else is fracking going on? Both events were determined to be related to oil and gas activity involving active 
fracturing operation, said the Oil and Gas Commission. Not large enough to damage critical infrastructure or affect local communities, but significantly larger and closer together than other quakes triggered by fracking in the region. Quote, we're essentially reaching the upper limit of magnitude of what we've observed over the past decade in western Canada, says a spokesman for the regulator. To have two bigger events occurring within a week in the same area, he says, is telling us something, unquote. Are we listening? I ask. After 20 years or more after the adoption of fracking began to supercharge U.S. production of oil and gas, there's growing evidence of a correlation between the industry's activities and an array of health problems ranging from childhood cancer and the premature death of elderly people, ow, to respiratory issues and endocrine disruption. The oil and gas industry, this is from Yale Environment 360. The oil and gas industry insists its processes are safe. Regulators have set rules designed to prevent the contamination of air and water by fracking. Advocates for stricter limits on the practice or even outright ban point to an increasing number of studies suggesting that fracking poses a threat to public health. A paper by the Yale School of Public Health this year showed that children living near Pennsylvania wells that use fracking are two to three times more likely to contract a form of childhood leukemia than their peers who live farther away. That followed a Harvard study earlier this year that found elderly people living near or downwind from gas pads, minor, I think, a little tight, have a higher risk of premature death than seniors who don't live in that proximity. What the frack? Ladies and gentlemen, I have a theory that certain kinds of fame are more ephemeral than others. I'm particularly thinking of the fame that accrues to people who are on radio or television every day or night. Um, there was a guy... I think he set the record, and I think the record stands for being on radio and television the most hours every week. He was on um, radio, network radio, when that existed, I think three hours a day, five days a week, and on network television, three nights a week for an hour each. A lot of, lot of air time. And yet... Within And this was for years, and yet within a couple of years of his retirement, uh, his name was rarely spoken, and if you did speak it, you had to explain to people who that had been. His name was Arthur Godfrey. And the same thing is true of the guys who've been on late nights every night. They seem to fade into um, a, a golden cloud, shall we say, um, not really name top of mind uh, very soon after they stop being on TV. The latest example of that phenomenon, of the ubiquity of a certain kind of fame leading to almost um, immediate obscurity, comes from the political world. 
I don't know whether you knew this or not, but Sarah Palin ran for the only House seat in Alaska, House of Representatives, following the death of Don Young, Republican, who'd represented Alaska for years. There was a special election in uh, late August, and then there was a regular election, election, uh, election day, in this uh, very month. She lost them both. The uh, last results I saw from the most recent general election was that the Democrat who was victorious had 45% of the vote and Sarah Palin had 25% of the vote. Remember her? Despite federal efforts to curb inappropriate medication use in the nursing home setting, that's a setting of nursing homes, national entities say the overall use of psychotropic drugs in the space remained high and unchanged 
for the last uh, decade or so. A report released this week by the Department of Health and Human Services Inspector General delved into the continuing use of psychotropic drugs in nursing homes only. Skilled nursing f- facility operator associations, meanwhile, argue such findings don't tell the whole story and that medication reduction needs to continue throughout the uh, industry. The report found about 80% of nursing home residents between 2011 and 2019 were prescribed a psychotropic drug, including antipsychotics, which the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services has actively been trying to mitigate. Well, they're crazy, clearly. CMS has for the past decade monitored antipsychotics as part of its national partnership to improve dementia care in nursing homes. Didn't know that existed. Efforts dovetail with the Biden administration's wider efforts to reduce inappropriate medications in nursing homes and behavioral health updates made to the requirements of participation in Medicare and Medicaid. Maybe not in Medicaid, Medicare Advantage. Call Joe Namath for information. I'd been aware of the work that CMS was doing to reduce the use of antipsychotics. I was very surprised to see the overall use of psychotropic drugs remained the same from 2011 to 2019, said uh, a team leader at HHS. If you're looking at it from that lens, there was no movement on that needle. Unquote. No movement on that needle, I guess, means the needle didn't move. CMS defines psychotropic drugs as any drug that affects brain activities associated with mental processes and behavior. Some facilities may have avoided federal monitoring of antipsychotics by indicating residents were diagnosed with schizophrenia. These residents, it turns out, had no prior history of that mental health disorder. There was a 194% increase in the number of residents reported as having schizophrenia between 2015 and 2019. They didn't have corresponding diagnoses in Medicare claims data, according to the Inspector General. In other words, researchers from the Inspector General saw 6,400 residents reported schizophrenic in 2015, 19,000 just four years later. That one was shocking. It put a global national figure on something we heard anecdotally, said the Regional Inspector General for the Office of Evaluation and Inspections in Kansas City where everything is up to date. News of Inspectors General, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. Copyrighted feature of this program. And now, the Apologies of the Week. We're so sorry. Well, you're just schizophrenic, that's all. Dateline Hawaii, County Hawaii. Didn't know that existed. After days of public outrage... Online, Hawaii Island resident Travis Upright apologized for a viral video of himself urinating on Mauna Kea, a mountain sacred to Native Americans. He posted three apologies on his Instagram page, one with a caption that read in part, I'm so sorry to all of you. I was so arrogant and I just didn't get it. I'm I'm beginning to, and I humbly ask for your forgiveness. Unquote. Senate Hawaii Island resident 
and native Hawaiian activist Alfonso Keikuka, Keikuku, sorry. This is very disrespectful to Aina, land, and to the cultural practices of native Hawaiians here, myself included. Unquote. The video shows upright, relieving himself high on the summit and then gesturing in obscenity after he finishes. Quote, it was just a sense of entitlement and privilege. I don't, it almost says I don't care about my choices and my actions here, and I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do. I'm going to do whatever I want, said the native Hawaiian. Deadline, Houston, Texas. It was an emotional moment at the Harris County Courthouse this week when a judge formally dismissed a drug charge that landed a man in jail for six years after he was convicted based on false testimony. Video from the Houston Chronicle showed the judge coming down from the bench to apologize to Frederick Jeffrey. Quote, I'm so sorry this happened to you, he said as he embraced Jeffrey. Thank you, sir, Jeffrey replied. He was sentenced to 25 years in prison for possessing a controlled substance. His conviction came under scrutiny after it was learned that one of the officers implicated in a notorious raid handled his case. A criminal appeals court ruled that his conviction should be overturned. Jeffrey was released from prison in September. His freedom finally became official this week during his official declaration of innocence in the courthouse. And he had been in jail for six years. Quote, when I was speaking with him, I met him before he, when he was released, and I apologized then, and I apologize now, said the judge. Even though it was not my fault, I felt as a judge it needed to be said. It's just one of those deals that wasn't planned. It was just spur-of-the-moment actions, unquote. Jeffrey did not say as the judge approached him. Here come the judge. His conviction was based on the false testimony of a former Houston police officer who claimed he was tied to drugs in a case from 2018. A key piece of evidence in the case was a cell phone the officer claimed belonged to Jeffrey, but investigators with the DA's office found body camera footage where a co-defendant said the phone belonged to him, not Jeffrey. Dateline Newtown Borough, Pennsylvania, the president of the Council Rock School Board, publicly apologized for comments he made about girls and math during a recent education committee meeting. Ed Solomon's apology came at the end of the school board meeting and after about half a dozen students and residents expressed disappointment with remarks he made in an October meeting, called for an apology. During a discussion about lagging test scores, the impact of COVID on student learning and how to bridge the learning gap, Solomon is heard saying, statistically we say that the ladies have a harder time with math. Throw that into the scenario. You don't like math, he said of young women. Comments didn't sit well with female math students and parents who took offense at his words, demanded that he apologize. Several called for his resignation, labeling comments misogynistic and degrading. Solomon, the father of two daughters, said he met with two students and their parents to discuss the impact of his words. I felt all three of my kids. I told, tell all of my three kids that everything is a learning experience when you make a mistake. My goal is to make this better. My goal is to fight for every kid in Council Rock. My apologies to anybody who I hurt. Think he means whom? Please accept them. I will work harder for the words that matter 
and I will work harder for these kids. Please accept my apology from the bottom of my heart. It means a lot to me. And to my board members, if you were offended as well, I'm sorry. Unquote. I think he means to my fellow board members. I'll rewrite his apology and get back to you. Dateline, Netherland, Netherland, Colorado. I'm going to say, I'm going to start by saying I'm, last week I messed up. I was converting files to put in the election results, and I converted them all fine. Then in my haste to wrap it up and send it to the press, I left out one of the files, making it seem like that part of the election had not been decided. But in fact, it was complete. And while we had the winners on the front page, we didn't have them on the official list inside because part of it was missing. So this week I have included the complete list on page five. My apologies to anyone that felt left out last week. I will do better every week. That is my goal. Last week I did not accomplish my goal, said a member of the committee counting the votes in Nederlander. Sorry, Nederland, Colorado. Also in Colorado, Colorado Springs District Superintendent Michael Gall issued an apology to families and staff after he decided not to delay school start times despite inclement weather. Many other districts in the area had two-hour delays or closed entirely on Friday, citing the cold weather and icy road conditions. But hey, they're in Colorado. And American Legion's posts around the nation used November 11th to honor veterans. In Hood River, Oregon, members of the American Legion Post 22 used Veterans Day to apologize and try to bring about healing in its community. Members of Post 22 gathered with the community to note discriminatory actions against Japanese-American World War II veterans decades ago, apologizing for those actions and honoring the descendants of those who were discriminated against. And that should do it. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen. A copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And finally, one more microplastics item. A study of microplastics pollution in Monterey Bay, California, has found widespread occurrence of the little critters in the seawater and in the digestive tracts of anchovies. I don't eat those anyway. And common mers. They are diving seabirds that feed on anchovies. So, I blame the anchovies. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the show. Back next week at the same time over these radio stations. Bless you, radio stations. And um, whenever you want it on your audio device of choice. 
And it would be if, just like if anchovies didn't eat those microplastics, if you'd agree with me, to join with me then. Will you? Alrighty, thank you very much. Uh-huh. A tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego desk, to Pam Halstead, and to Garrett Pittman here at WWNO for help with today's broadcast. The email address of this program, a chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts for your entire family. Do it for the children. And the playlist of the music you hear here, all and so much more at harryshare.com. Stuff to read, stuff to watch. It's a cornucopia without the corn. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions. Through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans. Flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. Crescent City.